All right. Hey, everybody. Merry Christmas. Um, I gave you a little change of scenery for this week's sermon. I came up here into the living room, turned on the fake fireplace on YouTube, got the Christmas tree. Um, Because we are not going to be in the book of Luke today. We're going to do a Christmas message um, from the book of Hebrews. Um, So I want to read the passage first, um, and then we'll dive into it. So we're just going to do the first three verses um, of the book of Hebrews. It says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So that's our passage for today. Um, Earlier this year, uh, we were, um, you know, began the book of Luke, And we did eight sermons, so we spent two months of the year already uh, walking through the infancy narrative um, in the book of Luke. So the first two chapters of Luke, talking about the shepherds and uh, the angels and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mary and the manger and Zachariah and Elizabeth and Simeon. And, you know, we went through that stuff for two months already. So instead of doing a sermon out of one of those passages, um, I decided to mix it up a little bit. I wanted to do something else. Now, the purpose... Uh, of our Luke sermons, of our Luke series, is what what we've been saying is we're reading this book together because we really want to get to know the real King Jesus even better. We want to spend a lot of time uh, reading the Gospel of Luke and seeing who Jesus really is, who he has revealed himself to be um, in his word. Now, I don't know if a lot of you guys have cable or maybe some of this stuff is on YouTube, but every year around... Um, uh, Christmas, we start to see a lot of these other portraits of Jesus, stuff that's not what is revealed in Scripture. So you turn on the Discovery Channel, and there's, you know, the documentaries about the historical Jesus, which they think um, they can come to some more reliable um, conclusion about who Jesus is outside of the Bible. Um, there's stuff like, um, you know, the uh, a lot of that Gnostic stuff from the Gnostic Gospels that ended up in the Da Vinci Code and documentaries about the Knights Templar covering up the secret that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene, right? There's all this other stuff. Um, there's all these other Jesuses that we see in the world. Another one happened. <laughs> I saw a bunch of um, people getting all political with Jesus in the last season, you know, like um, I saw this painting of, I don't know, I don't know if I'll be able to find it, but um, I saw a painting of Donald Trump sitting at the Oval Office desk, the Resolute desk, writing something, and Jesus was, like, giving him a back rub. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. Um, I saw another one of Jesus. It was that famous picture of Jesus, you know, like white Scandinavian Jesus. And um, he had his MAGA hat on, right? So there's all these other Jesuses out there that are not the Jesus that we see in Scripture. Um, And so we're reading the book of Luke specifically. to We want to tune all of that stuff out, and we want to see the real Jesus. Um, The opening of the book of Hebrews is actually a really wonderful place to see what I just read, those verses, really wonderful uh, short passage that really expands on some of the stuff we've read in Luke. It's a description of um, who Jesus is. So we're going to walk through these three three verses today. Someday, maybe, I would love to teach you guys the whole book of Hebrews. Um, Who was it? Somebody in our group was reading it. Was it... um, 
Fanny, maybe, said she was reading the book of Hebrews. So, um, you know, maybe when we talk about this on Wednesday night, she can uh, she can fill us all in, right? Um, anyway, so let's start here. Um, just read. We're going to read verse 1, then we're going to read verse 2, and then verse 3, and we're going to talk about it. So it says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So it starts out, the book of Hebrews starts out long ago, almost like a, a fairy tale, you know, what is it, um, you know, in a land far away, that sort of thing. Well, here when the book of Hebrews is written, um, and in the opening of the New Testament, right, with the Gospels and then some of the early books like Galatians and stuff, these books were 450 to 500 years after the close of the Old Testament. So um, the prophecy that Elijah would come back and John the Baptist and all that stuff happens, then the whole intertestamental period happens. And uh, prophecy is sort of closed for a while. And so it opens up, this is long ago, so they're, they're talking about that, at many times and in many ways, right? God spoke. Now that is such a powerful phrase that we take for granted. One of the things that's really hard to do when you're reading the epistles is, you know, the letters in the New Testament, is to go through and really take each phrase at a time. It's easy to read the whole book of Philippians in one sitting, or the whole book of First Corinthians in one sitting, and miss a lot of the nuance. But as you go through, just bit by bit, you come across these phrases that really are absolutely amazing. And this is one of those. God spoke. Imagine if he, if he didn't. We, we need God to speak to us because sin has blinded us. Sin has separated us from him. Sin has separated us from the communion that we had with him in Eden. And so we need him to reach down to humanity and to speak to us. And what the author of Hebrews says is he did that by speaking first, he says, to our fathers. And so revelation came specifically to the world through the Jewish people. The Romans... Um, in Romans 3, it says the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. One of the, the wonderful things is that God spoke to prophets through, you know, through this people. And the Old Testament is super important. I'm actually, like I told you guys before, I'm doing my reading plan. And um, I just finished, let's see, where am I? I'm in the middle of Deuteronomy now on my reading plan. Um, so I'm going through the Torah and then the historical books. And every year I try to read the Old Testament at least a couple of times, once or twice. I try to read the whole Bible a couple of times. I don't know no specific set. I just, you know, I try to get in as much as I can in a year. Um, the Old Testament is is absolutely vital for understanding so many things in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews, we're not going to teach the whole book of Hebrews. We're just doing these first three verses today. But the book of Hebrews really is a commentary almost on the Old Testament, talking about how Jesus is better, and we'll get to this, but um, is better than a lot of the stuff, you know, the prophets, the priests, and the kings of the Old Testament, right? But to understand books like Hebrews and Revelation, you really have to know your Old Testament, because that is where God first revealed himself to humanity. He did that in the scriptures. In what the Christians called the scriptures were, the first Christians called the scriptures were the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament was the Bible of Jesus. And so God spoke to these Jewish fathers at many times and in many ways. So think of all the ways in the Old Testament that God spoke to people. Visions, uh, dreams, think of uh, Joseph and Pharaoh and that whole story. There was directly speaking to people like Abraham and Moses. Um, at one point, a giant hand showed up and wrote on a wall in Babylon. There's the burning bush. Um, numbers, I just read about the donkey who speaks. Right? You have prophets who spoke for the people. Uh, to the people for God, right? Prophets, um, they, they, they wrote things down, right? So God spoke in a variety of different ways. And like I said, the book of Hebrews, though, um, is, is a commentary. It's like a sermon on the Old Testament, talking about how Christ is, is 
this is an introduction to talk about how Christ is better than all of that stuff. Christ is um, the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. So what he says is, look, God spoke in all these amazing ways, right? But Jesus is better than God speaking in those ways. So these next two verses are going to flush that out. Part one, so verse two, he's going to talk about um, whoever this anonymous author is, is going to talk about, you guys hear that motorcycles run by? Anyway, uh, verse two is who Jesus is. And then verse three is uh, what Jesus did or the ministry of Jesus. So let's read verse two. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So he's going to tell us a few things here about who Jesus is. Here's the first thing. Jesus is the word of God, right? In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So the last days, what that means is um, the era that we live in now, the death and resurrection of Jesus inaugurated the whole this whole new era, the ascension, kicked off what we call, what the Bible calls the last days. This is the time of what Jeremiah called the new covenant. This whole period that we're living in um, is... Uh, what Revelation calls the tribulation, where this pattern of Babylon happens in oppression and all this pattern of Antichrist keeps happening, right? This is the last days. And so during the last days, um, God has spoken through his son. John Piper, who's a who was a pastor, is an author, um, he said this, this word of God in his son is so decisive and so full that there will be no third phase of God speaking in history. So God speaking in history really came in two phases, before Jesus came and the apostles speaking through his son. And that's what it says here, that God has spoken now to us through his son, by his son. Um, John 1, you know, the, the famous intro, the prologue to the gospel of John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So talking about Jesus there, John specifically calls him the Word. And then in John 1.14, skip down a few verses, um, and the Word became flesh and dwelt or tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So that the word in Greek that is translated here, word, the Greek word um, is the word logos. And we've talked about this word before. Um, there are so many layers to why John specifically uses that word logos. Um, there's Greek philosophy and Jewish, uh, you know, there's Jewish thought. But the very surface layer that the author of Hebrews is getting at, kind of the top layer there, is the obvious layer, why we translate this word. Um, because uh, Jesus is revelation from God. By Jesus coming, that was God speaking to us. And God has spoken to his people, to us, the most powerful way is through Jesus. And what is the New Testament that we're, we're looking at here is the New Testament is just the apostles writing down the teachings of Jesus, writing down the things about Jesus. Do you remember the intro to the book of Luke as we, um, we did this on our opening in, on March 8th? Um, it says, in as much as many have undertaken uh, to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those from who the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word uh, have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So Luke says, look, I, I, I um, 
I researched all of this. I, I'm writing all of this down, Theophilus, so that you may have certainty. I'm writing down the things about Jesus so that you may have certainty. So that's the first thing we read in Hebrews, that Jesus is the word of God. He is revelation from God. Here's the second thing. He is the heir, it says, of all things, right? Whom he appointed the heir of all things. So inheritance uh, laws are kind of a big deal now, who who gets money or whatever. But in the in the Old Testament world, especially in the ancient Near East, right? This was a huge deal, inheritance laws, and who would end up being the heir. And they were even a bigger deal in royal families. So the father has an heir, right? One uh, one to sit on the throne, and, and, and the heavenly father has an heir, one to sit on the throne, to rule his kingdom. And what the New Testament continually tells us is the heir to the throne of God, right, is King, is king Jesus. Um, Revelation 1... Um, Revelation 19 says this, um, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So Jesus comes back and he's got this awesome tattoo on his leg and it says, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the world is full of lesser kings. The world is full of uh, lesser rulers, right? Caesar was a king. He was the head honcho in the Roman Empire, whichever you know, emperor at the time was emperor. David and Solomon were kings. Cyrus of Persia was a king. Nebuchadnezzar was a king in Babylon. But Jesus is the king of kings. He is the heir of all things. But the question is, does he deserve to be? Right? Who can claim that throne, that I am the king of everything? I'm the king of the entire universe. Well, really, only one person can, the creator. And that's the third thing that verse 2 tells us about Jesus. So he's the word of God. He's the heir. And the third thing is he is the creator of the world. That's what it says, through whom he also created the world. Now, I think in most of our minds, when we think of creation, um, we're, we think of uh, um, the father creating. But creation was an act of the entire Trinity. Um, that same section from the beginning of John, from John's prologue, says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Um, now, I'm not allowed to say, <clears throat> kind of give you a little story here. I'm not allowed to say our foster kids' names because um, in public, you know, because of privacy and that sort of stuff. But anyway, you know, you guys know we have the three kids that live with us full time. Uh, two of them, the other day, were here, and they were building like a little tower out of these magnetile things. Actually, you guys know these things? Have you ever seen these? These little magnetiles, they clip together. Like, oh wait, maybe they don't clip together. Well, these two don't clip together. But anyway, you know, you put them together and you make a little tower or whatever. Um, so two of the kids were building this tower. And the third one came after, you know, came by later while it was still standing there and wanted to knock it down. So that's part of the game, right? They build it up, and then they knock it over. And they build it up, and they knock it over. Well, the one who didn't build it wanted to knock it over. So he told him, look, you didn't make it. You don't get to knock it over. It's not yours. Or you don't have ownership over this thing. And it was a whole deal because he really wanted to knock it over. Anyway, G the point is, Jesus is the one who built it. And so he can do whatever he wants with the universe. This is all his. He is the heir. He is the king. He is the creator. And so that's really a, a wonderfully... Um, rich, but wonderful, you know, it's a brief description of Jesus, right? He's the word of God. He's the heir to the throne and he's the creator. Um, he's the creator of the world. So now the next verse verse three tells us um, this, this word of God, the heir, the creator, this is his ministry. What did he do? So verse three, look at verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, 
After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So now he tells us three sort of phases to Jesus's ministry. So the first phase is he is God uh, become a man, right? He is God come down, right? Look at what he says. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Upholding the universe by the word of his power is sort of the transition building on Jesus as the creator and the king. Um, the book of Colossians talks about this too in Colossians 1. It says, and he's before all things and in him all things hold together. So Jesus as the king and the creator is active in his universe. He is, he's sort of the one, um, uh, you know, he's the one holding everything together. I'm trying to think of an illustration. Maybe like, a, um, um, you know, like one of those uh, wine barrels or like I think they make whiskey in them. They take the slats and they put them all together and then they hammer the, that little piece of metal down, right? So it sort of cinches everything together. Well, with the universe, that's the idea, is Jesus is the one that's kind of holding everything together. And were he to let go, everything would completely, completely fall apart. So that's that's one way that we see, in the person of Jesus, we see the one who is holding everything together. Um, the author also says he's the radiance of the glory of God. Um, Chuck Spurgeon, right, the Victorian era... Um, I think Victorian era, anyway, uh, English preacher said, shade your eyes for you cannot look, so you cannot look upon this wondrous sight without being dazzled by it. Some commentators say, and it's not an appropriate analogy, uh, though we uh, must not push it, push any analogy too far, that as light is to the sun, so Jesus is to the glory of God. He is the brightness of that glory. And I love that illustration. Spurgeon didn't make that up. He was just kind of talking about it, but um, like the sun uh, is the Father and the, the sunlight is Jesus, right? That's the glory of God is sort of the sunlight. And we see that glory in Jesus. So one way to think about this is that, is all that God is, Jesus is, right? They're so connected. And that's the, the, the idea here also is he calls him the exact imprint of his nature. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago, was that last week? Yeah, that was last week. We I talked about that TV show, The Crown. I want to talk about it again. Um, the crown and the opening of season three, when it, um, when uh, the 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 woman plays the queen, um, the uh, actress changes over and she becomes more middle aged. The first um, scene in season three is her looking at the new money with her face on it, and she's thinking, "Oh man, I got old, right?" Um, the older queen looking at the money with her picture on it, and they kind of talk about, "Yeah, but you know, it actually looks like you, right?" Um, that's, that's probably the idea here, right? A monarch or a sovereign putting their face on the money. Now, remember people in the ancient Near East, I don't know if you heard about this, but TV had not been invented yet. Pictures, photographs, not been invented. Um, the main way that people knew what the emperor would have looked like was from coins. There would have been a picture. It's a, not a very good picture, but there would have been a picture on the coin. It's like when Jesus says, you know, Hey, whose face is on this coin? Oh, Caesar's, you know, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and God what's God, you know, that whole, but look at the picture. It's Caesar's face on here, right? That's the idea. Well, this is the analogy. Jesus is like that. He's like the picture on the coin. Um, and when you look at him, who do you see? You see the father. And in the incarnation, this is what we celebrate every year at Advent, every year at Christmas time, we celebrate all of these things, right? About God becoming a man. Jesus is the very word of God, the exact imprint of the nature of the Father, become a man. All of that came down to become one of us. But why? Why did he do that? So we have 
this this first bit here, the first part of these the three phases of Jesus's ministry was the incarnation where God becomes a man, but that wasn't the end of it. It all happened so that the second idea here, so that he could handle our sin. Um, right there, it says in verse three, after making purification for our sins, right? Christmas only makes sense. The incarnation only makes sense if you think about the cross down the road. God didn't become a man for no reason, right? He became a man. He became one of us. He became a human being, flesh and blood to actually do something. The cross is that something. And a major theme in the book of Hebrews, if you were to keep reading on, um, would be to show how uh, is the author shows how Jesus is better than the entire Old Testament sacrificial system, right? They had to do it every day or, you know, every every year or whatever it was. And then Jesus, though, he only had to be sacrificed once. He's the final sacrifice that all of those Old Testament sacrifices point to. And it wasn't on the cross there. It wasn't just some guy who died. He wasn't just a rabbi. He wasn't just a rebel or a leader or whatever, right? It, he was God become a man, and he died on the cross, but he didn't just die. That's not the end of the story, right? He rose again. He ascended uh, into heaven. Um, we, you know, we we talk about the ascension, and that's where he is now. And that brings us to the third phase of Jesus's ministry that verse three covers. It says um, he rules on high. That's what Jesus is doing right now, right? Look what it says. He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So when you talk about the ascension. Um, uh, one of my favorite sermons ever was Tim Keller did a sermon in 1997 about um, about the ascension of Jesus. But when you talk about the ascension, um, it, it, there's really kind of two sides to that. Literally, the word means Jesus went up into the sky. And I think that's how most of us think of the ascension, right? Where the apostles and, um, you know, all the followers, the few that were left after the resurrection, uh, they went up to see Jesus, you know, and uh, he... He said bye, took off up into the sky, and everybody just stood there looking. I wonder if he's coming back down, you know? Hope he brought a parachute and kind of a thing. And then these two angels come up, and they're like, hey, guys, he's not, you know, guys, he's going to come back, but, you know, not right now. Go to Jerusalem, right? Um, and so we think of the ascension as he's ascending into heaven. But the word actually kind of has the two sides to the meaning, right? It also means he didn't just ascend into the sky. He ascended the throne. Now, um, in that sermon, Keller gives this illustration. He talks about somewhere... In England, um, there's a throne that the queen sits on. I've seen enough of that crown show, but I probably should know where that is. But anyway, I have no idea. Somewhere there's a throne, maybe in Buckingham Palace um, in England, where she sits and she's the queen. And, you know, at the coronation or whatever, you ascend the throne, which means um, which means you, you, you assume the responsibility of being the monarch, of being the sovereign. Now, if somebody – there was an episode. There is a throne because I remember at one point this guy breaks into um, – Buckingham Palace, and he sits on the throne, but he's not the king, right? Just because he sat on the throne, you have to actually like ascend to the throne, and that's what Jesus did. He he took the uh, you know he took his place at the right hand of the Father. He ascended his throne to become right the king of the entire universe. And I love the the phrase here that he sat down. Um, when do you sit down? Right when you're done with something. You know, a hard day's work. Um, you know, you're moving or gardening, or I don't know what people do with for a hard day's work. I, you know, um, what's that line from Seinfeld? Well, you do have silky smooth hands. Yeah, that's what comes from avoiding manual labor every day for my whole life. That's kind of how I feel. But anyway, you know, after a hard day of actually doing something and you're just exhausted and you plop down into your chair, it feels good to sit down after a day's work. That's sort of the image here, right? That Jesus 
uh, he's sitting at the throne. He's sitting on his throne because, uh, you know, at the cross, he was able to shout out, it is finished. Not it's almost done, but it is finished. And now he ascended the throne and he's ruling the world at the right hand of God. Um, in that sermon, Tim Keller says this here. Uh, we know this. Jesus Christ is a human being. Uh, he's still a human being. He's the same Jesus up there, which means the ascension uh, it means that there's a human being ruling over the entire universe. Don't ask me all the implications of that, but uh, we know that he knows you. He loves you. He knows how you feel. And we're told um, in Ephesians 1, when he was seated at the right hand of the Father, he now rules everything for you. For you. That's what Jesus is doing right now. And so Jesus became a man. He took on that resurrection body at the resurrection and he ascended into heaven, and the actual human Jesus is still a human, and he's ruling the entire universe from his throne. Um, this is a very important idea that I think we don't talk about enough in church. Um, it's like the most quoted or alluded to verse from the Old Testament in the New Testament is this. It's from Psalm 110.1, and you'd think it would be something about, by his stripes we are healed, or, you know, one of those verses from Isaiah about the about the death and resurrection or, you know, something like that. But it's actually this verse. It's about a verse about the ascension. It says this, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's the idea is that Jesus is up there. He's ruling from heaven until it's time for him. Uh, he's sitting on his throne, ruling the universe until it's time for him to come back um, and gather his people together and put the world back together. And that's our king. That's the third phase of his ministry. That's the baby in the manger. That's the man who walked around and healed people. That's the one who, who bled and was beaten and nailed to a cross. This is the man who was resurrected. It's our king, Jesus. Now that's encouraging. Because here's the thing. Those are our three verses, right? 2020, as we're coming to the end of the year, 2020 was a dumpster fire, let's be honest. This was not a great year. We had COVID lockdowns, uh, people lost jobs, there was an ugly election, sickness, death, planting a church in March, Dodgers won a World Series, good night, the Lakers won the championship. This is not a good year, guys. Um, there are a lot of reasons to be bummed. There are a lot of reasons to be feeling down after 2020. And so this sermon today, this text, this Christmas message, it's not going to be, well, 2020 is going to get better, right? The clock is going to flip over at midnight and all of a sudden there's going to be a vaccine and everything's going to get back to normal and it's all going to be gravy, right? Maybe 2020 will be worse than, sorry, maybe 2021 will be worse than 2020. I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? But from these three verses, I think there's three big ideas that we can take as we look at who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And then this is what we celebrate together every year at Advent. As we look at those two things, let me just pull out three ideas that will hopefully, right? The ideas will give us hope, right? Will will allow us to uh, to relax and to trust in the Lord. So here's the first thing. The first idea is this: God has spoken. God has actually spoken. No matter how bad things get, if 2021 is worse than 2020. You can always open up your Bible and expect to hear from God. Now, no matter how bad it gets, that's a pretty wonderful thing. 
Do you remember being a kid and being afraid of something? I don't know, like a storm or something. Um, I remember being a kid and being pretty afraid after the 89 earthquake. I was five or six or whatever. Um, and then you, a parent comes in and says, don't worry, it'll be all right. And in that moment, that parent is actually able to calm you down. You look up, you see in their eyes, okay, it is going to be all right. In that storm, whatever it is, what do you need? You need your parents' comfort. That's what, that's what we get when we have this book, when we have the Bible. Because no matter how bad things get, we can always turn to it. And with confidence, we can expect God to speak to us on every page of this book. Even the pages in Chronicles where they're listing people's names, right? Even the sections we don't like so much, right? This whole book is God's revelation to us. Uh, Piper again, John Piper again says this, every time I begin to complain that God is silent and that uh, I need God to speak to me, at that moment, I should stop and ask, have I heard this word? Is this word from God spoken in the Son of God so short and simple that I've finished with it and now I need more? I need another word? Have I really heard the word of God in the person and the teaching and the work of the Son? Is the aching of my soul and the confusion of my mind really owing to the fact that I have exhausted hearing his word and I need to hear another word? And also, um, and so I feel another gracious rebuke to my unperceptive and presumptuous ears. Right? Basically what he's saying is a lot of times we, we think, man, I wish God would guide me. I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would do this. And what Piper says is basically like, what are you, an idiot? Like, do you know this word so well that you're done with it now and you need something else? Have you exhausted everything that God has to say to you here? No. And so it's really a wonderful thing that we have this book that we can spend an entire lifetime studying and never be done hearing from God. And so let me give another plug for the 2021 Porch SF reading plan. Um, the reading plan we're going to do is we're going to read the entire New Testament once um, and the Psalms. And it's going to be about a chapter a day. Some of the psalms are pretty short, so sometimes there'll be two or three of those really short psalms. But it won't be very much reading. The actual reading should not take you more than five or ten minutes per day. Um, Kayla and I, we're still trying to figure out how we're going to get this out to you. Um, but we'll also, as we get to sections of the Bible, we're going to send out links to Bible Project videos. Um, and, uh, um, you know, we're going to get... We're going to read the entire New Testament together. And um, maybe next year, I, I don't want to give you the impression that the Old Testament is not important because I was just raving about the Old Testament. Maybe if you want to, you can find a reading plan that goes through the Old Testament in a year, and um, you can kind of follow that along too. But together as a church, we're going to read the entire New Testament um, next year. We're going to read the Word of God, and we're going to do it with confidence. That's the idea. Because we want to, we want to read this book because we want to see our King better. And that leads us to my second, like, kind of final thought of the three final thoughts here, is the more we read this book, the more we're going to realize that our king is amazing, right? Look at this lofty description from just these first three verses of the book of Hebrews. Jesus is the word of God. He is the heir of all things. He's the creator of the universe. He came down in the incarnation to show us the father. He died and rose again to buy our redemption, and he reigns in high, sitting at the right hand of the majesty of the Father. Right? Like I said, one of the reasons we're reading Luke, the reason we're reading the New Testament, uh, is because we want to take it in. We want to breathe it in. We want to see just really how amazing our King is. 
Because this is what eternity is going to be. Eternity is going to be God's people together worshiping him and loving him and every day learning more and more about him. A never-ending life of just learning about Jesus and being more amazed by who he is. So that's the second thing. Here's the third and final thing. Um, Drink some coffee real fast. Mmm, cold and stale coffee from like four hours ago. Okay, here's the third idea. So we have, um, you know... Well, here's the third idea. Our king, then, if he's amazing in the second point, then the third idea is he's worth showing off. Our king is worth showing off. The more that you love Jesus genuinely, the more that you will want other people to love him as well. The more you realize um, how much he loves you, the more you will want other people to experience that love and that grace. Worshiping God, worship at all, is not complete until you've told other people about it. Right. When you see a great TV show, your enjoyment of that TV show isn't really complete until you bug all your friends and try to get them to watch it. Um, how I keep talking about The Crown or Star Trek or the, the Queen's Gambit, you know, like these great shows, when you see something like that, you want to tell people, you want other people to see it. Part of the enjoyment is you telling. That's the same is true with serving. The same is true of serving King Jesus. The more that you know him, the more you're going to want to share about him. But it's also that the more you share about him, the deeper for him your love will be. And it just keeps spiraling. Um, So you love him and you share and you love him and you share. And like I said, this is what eternity is going to be. And so I'll leave you with that thought for um, to end our Christmas message, right? Christ came as the very word of God. So that when you see him, when you see Jesus in this book, you you see God the Father. When you read about him, you come in contact with God the Father. And the more that you see who Jesus really is, the more that you will love him, and the more that that love will will flow out of you into worship, into sharing um, with other people. And my prayer for our church is that we would be a church uh, filled with people who are just passionate about loving our King, and who are passionate about letting that love overflow into the way that they serve other people. Amen? So, um, yeah, thanks for joining us today. Merry, you know, let me just close this in prayer and I'll say Merry Christmas one more time. Yeah. Um, God, we thank you for whoever it is that wrote the book of Hebrews and these just wonderful words, these, this lofty description um, of your son. And Lord, I just, um, I ask that this Christmas, this Advent season, and we would all just take time to meditate and to, to pray and to think about who you are, to spend time with you, just basking in the light of your glory. So, you know, Lord, it's, you know, honestly, it's been a rough year um, for a lot of us. And I just pray, Lord, that your, um, your word would still be enough, that we would still find hope. Um, as we encounter you um, in these scriptures. So we, we, we ask you to, to bless us individually. We ask you to just lay your hand of blessing on our church as we, as we uh, turn the calendar and start 2021. We ask for you know, growth in our numbers and growth in our, our hearts and our love and our passion for you and just growth in our love for our neighbors and coworkers and friends. So we just lift all this stuff up in your name. Amen.